welcome to another week of Lost in Science. My name is Claire and of course we have another jam-packed episode of Lost in Science for all your science needs ready to go for you this week because why wouldn't we? We love doing it and we hope that you love listening to it. With me, of course, this week is Stu and Chris. Hello. Hi. Aloha. Aloha. Hi. And Stu, what have you what have you brought for us to hear all about in the world of science this week? Oh, uh, look, I'm gonna do I'm gonna start a series of uh, reports on pub games and science behind pub games. <laughs> no Are you starting with pool or darts? No, I'm starting with darts, and of course, I'm not going to be talking about pub games. Although there's probably a story in the physics of how come I'm no good at pool and or darts. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's it's my lack of trigonometry skills that always fails me at at pool. I think, but no, I'm going to be talking about darts in a in a in a way. I'm going to be talking about the Dart mission, which is a NASA mission, which actually launched last week. Uh, and is going to culminate in them smashing into something out in space oh. uh, to find out some very important information. One of the most important smashes of the century. Uh, yeah, probably, and pro- possibly one of the most important smashes of all time. <laughs> one of the most important smashes of all time. You heard it here first. It is something that humans have never ever ever done before so oh my goodness if you want to find out what that is you'll wow. have to listen to my story that sounds like big science news too mm-hmm. it, it is big science news and it's also big uh you know human existence news as well yeah. i think so it's yeah. called yeah. it's called the dart do you think they'll i don't know hit a bullseye you know is there a target they're aiming for or anything Absolutely there is, and I hope they do hit a bullseye because it'll be a lot of wasted time and effort if they don't. <laughs> well, I'm looking forward to hearing more about um, more about this giant bar- da- more about this giant dartboard. <laughs> Chris, um, how about you? Do you have some more pub games or have you got something a little bit different for us in the world of science? I guess a bit more sedate, one might say. Oh. It's a topic that uh, has both been a bit of an obsession of mine, something also that I avoid thinking about, though it has been on my mind, let me just say, in the wee hours of the morning. Uh, sleep. I'm yawning just thinking yeah, about it. Yeah, yeah. Um, it is... Sleep is an... When you have young uh, babies, sleep is a constant challenge. And last night was, I can report, was particularly challenging um but we all got through it anyway um yeah but it's the kind of thing that it is it is difficult to get a good night's sleep at the moment and at the same time like i said i avoid thinking about it because i don't want to know about all the the health consequences of not getting enough sleep uh, when people say oh you need to get enough sleep for this reason and that reason then i wish they would just shut up so i'm going to talk about it myself <laughs> great great you're setting the groundwork here and you're setting the goalposts around when and how you talk about sleep. Exactly. I'm going to look a bit at, um, yeah, some of the impacts, I guess, of not enough sleep, but also what do we actually know and what point what do we do not know about sleep and how are people trying to find out? And they're looking in some surprising places um, because it turns out we really don't know much about how sleep works, why we sleep, 
yeah, what's all going on there. And yeah, it's, uh, it is important research because we all stand to benefit from it, I think. Fantastic. Well, um, The Science of Sleep, I think there was a movie name that uh, sometime back in the 2000s. We'll be getting the actual Science of Sleep, the lowdown of that, not the Michelle Gondry version. On with the show. either of you are any good at darts no no i don't think so not really i mean i'm not i'm I, you know what i'm not as bad at darts as i am at pool but it is one of those things where the more beers you drink the more likely some i'm going to take an eye out you know yeah yeah i i find with i find with pool too there's sort of a uh there's a curve involved in my skill i get better and then i rapidly decline <laughs> yeah. uh depending on how many beers i've had before i play but look the object of the game of darts is to precisely aim miniature projectiles at various points on a dartboard to get a specific number of points and it's you know it's not always to get the bullseye apparently it's you know also to drink pints of beer at the same time it seems like even competition darts there seems to be beer drinking involved but aiming darts at a board 237 centimeters away which is the official length that you're supposed to be playing darts from um, it's pretty tricky, easy enough to manage even after a few pints, apparently. Even though the dartboard is small and the sections of the dartboard that you're aiming at are even smaller, they're mm. just little tiny bits on the board. Obviously, a dartboard is standing still. Imagine trying to hit a dartboard that was moving or even moving around another object that was also moving. That it, would be pretty tricky. It certainly would add a bit more complexity to the game. Yeah, you need a couple of points to attempt that, I think. <laughs> Need a need a couple of points to uh, to come up with the idea. I think. Uh, look, this is actually what NASA is planning to do with their Dart mission, which launched on November twenty fourth, twenty twenty one, and is aimed at reaching its dartboard destination in October twenty twenty two. The whole point of this mission is to see whether they can alter the trajectory of a small asteroid called Dimorphos, which is the smallest astronomical object that humans have ever permanently named. Ooh. Often often when they discover something, they'll give it a number and they'll put it away in the filing cabinet or in the computer database and never think about it again. This is the smallest thing that's actually got a permanent name. And it's been called Dimorphos, which means it's got two shapes. The reason is that NASA is trying to change the shape of this object or change the appearance of this object. So this asteroid, Dimorphos, is around 160 metres in diameter. It's pretty small, as asteroids go. And it's in orbit around a larger asteroid called Didymos, 
which is about 780 meters across and it's roughly spherical. So it's kind of like Dimorphos is like a little moon orbiting a larger asteroid. They're aiming at Dimorphos. So DART, the name of the mission, stands for Double Asteroid Redirection Test. And it's a proof of concept to see if the smaller asteroid's orbit can be disrupted and by how much. You may remember the movie Armageddon. Yes, of course. Uh, Bruce Willis, Ben Affleck. Steve Buscemi. Oh, really? Liv Tyler. Liv Tyler blowing up an asteroid with nuclear weapons. Yeah. That's exactly right. It's a last-ditch effort to save the Earth from destruction from an asteroid by blowing it into tiny little pieces, and that will somehow save us, which seems like it will just rain down terror across half the planet instead of just in one location you're turning, look, a, you're turning a bullet into a shotgun pellets basically <laughs> kind of and you know there's probably some benefits in that but also some downsides look this mission is not trying to do something that drastic uh, what they're actually trying to do is change the orbit of the small asteroid around the bigger one by the incredibly huge time span of a minute it doesn't really seem like much but it's actually enough that they will be able to measure the change in the orbit of this tiny asteroid from earth so they'll be able to look at the asteroid from earth and go oh yeah it's changed its orbit wow yeah so how are they doing this what they're actually doing is firing the dart spacecraft into the small asteroid the spacecraft itself will be completely destroyed by doing this test it will smash into the asteroid at about 6.6 kilometres a second. What? Whoa. Um, yeah, it, it's going to be moving pretty quick when it hits. And are there any explosives on the dart? No, it's purely a kinetic test. So they're just seeing how an object travelling at this speed will affect the object that it slams into. Yeah, if you remember your um, like physics from high school and stuff like that, you know, conservation of momentum, it's, you know, mass times velocity is, um, you've got to look at, at each one. So the asteroid is a lot bigger than the spacecraft, I'm assuming. Now, the asteroid's like 160 metres across. The spacecraft is probably tiny. So to get a big enough momentum to affect the the asteroid, you're going to have to make it move really, really fast. And 6.1 kilometres a second is, is fast. It, it'll be like driving a Prius into the side of the MCG, if you can think of the scales that we're talking about. Um, not going to affect the MCG very much. Going to really affect the Prius, <laughs> assuming you can get it going fast enough. But even so, the impact will cause the small asteroid to wobble, and the redistribution of energy will cause it to slow down and increase the period of its orbit around Didymus. Mm. So this process will be observed by a, a little mission buddy. There's a little <laughs> small Italian satellite called Lycia Cube oh. along for the ride. Okay, this is this just crossed over into incredibly cute. Yeah. A mission buddy, an Italian mission buddy. Yeah. The Italians built a little satellite, a little cube satellite, which will separate kick. from the dart. Yeah, a sidekick. Uh <laughs> Separate from the dart craft before impact, and it will hang around and record what's happening as the as the dart spacecraft smashes into the asteroid and gets destroyed. Wow. I mean, also a little bit sad that that's what happens to your buddy at the end of your big trip, but I won't go there. It's a bit Thelma and Louise, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> I'm not sure how long the Lycia Cube is going to be hanging around either, because it's just sort of going to be floating in space by itself. <laughs> 
watching watching the pieces of the dart float <laughs> off into the. Does it have somewhere else universe, to go? I guess. <laughs> no, it's 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 fulfilling its purpose. But the full effect of the test will not be known for some time because the changes in the orbit will will happen quite slowly. The the energy redistribution and the slowing down will take some considerable time so the final check on the test will be from a different mission called Hera which is gonna happen five years after the impact Hera won't even launch until after the NASA mission is complete it's not due to launch until 2023 and is under control of the European Space Agency as part of what is called the Asteroid Impact Deflection Assessment or AIDA so this is what it comes down to. The whole purpose of this mission is to gather information about what happens when you fire objects into mm. other objects in space. There's a lot of international cooperation and has required a lot of development of new technologies, including uh, the Hera spacecraft will have autonomous navigation systems, which is it's going to be kind of like a self-driving uh, satellite. So when it gets to the point where it's measuring stuff, it'll fly itself around and take measurements and wow. observations. And those measurements are intended to provide enough data about impact velocity and trajectory changes that they may be used in future to plan missions to potentially alter the course of asteroids that may actually threaten the Earth. All these different nations cooperating, well, we all stand to benefit from the outcomes and what we can learn from actually doing this. Yeah, so there is there is like a, an obvious question that comes to mind here. Is there a risk that by hitting Dimorphos, we will make it on a course to hit the Earth? It's very, very unlikely. So the reason that they've chosen this tiny little asteroid with its larger companion is that it will affect the little asteroid in orbit around the larger asteroid. If anything did happen to the little asteroid, it would probably crash into the other asteroid. Uh. But they're so far out of Earth orbit anyway, because the binary asteroid is in orbit around the sun itself. But they've calculated the risk is extremely low. And if, if anything does happen, it will affect that asteroid rather than anything else. Okay, Hopefully yeah. You know, that makes sense. Like, yeah, anything. you're hitting a small part of a, of a double system, but the actual yep. binary system is so big that you're not really affecting that as much. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's exactly right. So that's, you know, best laid plans of, of NASA scientists, I guess. But that, that, that is part of the reason that they've chosen this as their test to do that. Obviously, if they're going to alter the course of an asteroid to stop it hitting Earth, and if it's going to be using this sort of concept they're going to have to do it when it's a really long way from earth so we're still got to have early detection and the capability of launching something to get to this asteroid in time to actually alter its trajectory so this is very very early proof of concept stuff basically even though we've got decades and centuries of physics information we still don't actually know necessarily how this is going to work in practice so this is a practical test for figuring this out, there are chances that it won't even work this time. Regardless of the outcome of this mission, this is, I think, it's a very historic experiment. It'll be the first time ever in the history of the human race that we've permanently changed the behaviour of an astronomical object. So wow. in some ways, that's maybe a, a larger step for humankind than walking on the moon and leaving our footprints, where 
leaving a, a sort of cosmic footprint in that will have permanently altered this forever once we've done this experiment, once we've done this test. Um, you could say that in the history of space experiments, this one will have a deep impact. Traveling through another dimension, a dimension not only of sight and sound, but of mind. A journey into a wondrous land whose boundaries are that of imagination. That's the signpost up ahead. Your next stop. Lost in science. All right, now sleep is very important. We all know that. Um, but, you know... Yes, as I said in the introduction, I'm a bit obsessed by it, but this kind of story is a little bit prompted by a couple of recent articles that I read in Science Magazine. And so I thought I would just kind of, you know, um, mm. give you a bit of a report from that. So, uh, yeah, so sleep, as I have indicated, it does affect parents of young children, but not just parents of young children. A lot of people are affected by lack of sleep. Um, and some research from the United States shows that in particular... Uh, people from lower socioeconomic backgrounds and people of colour are very susceptible to sleep problems. Now, the reasons for this are varied. You've got things like shift work. Obviously, it's not great for your, for your sleep. Um, you have environmental problems like air and, night pol- and light pollution. Mm. Um, also, it seems that racial discrimination has an impact as well. There was analysis that was published last year that found that racial discrimination could account for about 57% of the relationship between race and insomnia. So wow. it's, you know, kind of stress and those kind of factors yeah. as well have an impact. Yeah, not to be underestimated. No, not to be underestimated. And the effects are serious. Um, yeah. So, you know, looking at some of the, the effects of lack of sleep, um, drowsiness itself is a danger mm. thing. Um, the CDC in the US says that being awake for at least 18 hours is the same as having a blood alcohol content of 0.05%. So, wow, that's over the limit, isn't it? That's that's the limit, yeah. So if you go longer than 18 hours without sleep, um, then you're basically going over the limit. And <laughs> that that that's that's the limit in Australia. In some parts of America, I think it goes up to point point oh seven five or something. That's in, right. In that's various right. Various areas. So so that's nothing for them. It's like, oh, stay awake for 18 hours. We don't care. <laughs> But like, I guess this is one of the arguments, I mean, getting off track here, but, you know, you know, we've always seen like in American movies and TV shows, they do that kind of sobriety test where they get them to do walk in a straight line and stuff like that. And it seems like a bit of a joke when we have, you know, blow in the bag, so, um, or ma'am. Um, but in some ways they're measuring impairment rather than the, uh, you know, the chemical cause of it. So in some ways what they're getting is more accurate, but I just don't know if there's any laws about it. They're saying, oh, you're a bit wobbly because you're sleepy. Um, I'm not sure what the legal situation is there. Anyway, but the, um, you know, something like that, obviously there is an impact on driving, but also, you know, there's an impact on work. Um, this is a concern when you consider how commonly healthcare workers lack adequate sleep. Um, so that is something that we, is a risk that we have in society for many years and it doesn't seem very smart. Mm. Um, and there are many other impacts on the brain and mental health, um, on heart and stroke, heart disease and stroke, um, type 2 diabetes, and on the immune system. So yeah, we know sleep is very important, but we still don't know exactly why we sleep and what it does for the body. Don't, don't we? 
We don't know why we sleep. Um, I, I covered this. Look, I actually did a story on the science of sleep a, a few years ago um, with from a major discovery that was made in 2013. Um, and um, when I put that, I, I actually, I'm going to repeat what I did. Then I, I quoted from an XKCD cartoon. Um, oh, yeah. Where the characters are talking. One of them says, humans are defined by our curiosity, our hunger for answers. The other one responds, we all spend a third of our lives lying down with our eyes closed and nobody knows why. Um, so basically, saying, no, we not, we don't know everything. We're not that curious. But um, yeah, as I said, the big development in 2013, um, new imaging technology made it possible to see inside living brains. And this led to the discovery of something that the researchers called the glial system, which is essentially a flow of fluid through the brain um, that is believed to flush out toxins that are produced by brain cells. So there's kind of channels formed by glial cells, hence the name the glial system. And these channels open up more during sleep, which um, goes on helps to explain why there might be a link between lack of sleep and things like Alzheimer's disease, where you have a buildup of you know toxins and things like the amyloid plaques. So you know, that's possibly one of the functions that sleep is having on the brain. Mm. Um, but look, there is also clearly something more going on because I listed a bunch of impacts of sleep on, on our health earlier and not all of them are brain related. So there is clearly more going on and this is where some fascinating new research on sleep in other animals comes in. So look, we know that, you know, generally expect that a lot of animals sleep. We've all seen dogs and cats dreaming, you know, little twitching Sure paws. have. Having having uh, having spent a lot of time at home in the last couple of years, I'm amazed at how much cats sleep. <laughs> they really I mean, do. That, that's kind of what they do. Is if, you know, <laughs> if I had to describe what a cat does now, I'd say, well, they sleep, and then sometimes they get up and eat and do some other things, but mostly just sleeping. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we know that we know that mammals definitely sleep. Um, birds certainly sleep. Um, some birds that are migratory birds sleep half the brain at the time um, so that they can keep oh, flying. Oh, so they can fly? Yeah. Oh, that is so clever. I love they, that. They, they sleep while they're flying? Yeah, half asleep. Half their brain wow. switches off. And, they sleep and, with one eye open? Essentially, yeah. Wow. And what about, what about like fish and ocean animals? Okay, so um, there was actually a stir in 2019, as recently 2019, when they actually found um, sleep rhythms, cycles of quiet and active sleep in zebrafish. And that was a kind of surprise. It was the first time someone had detected that. Wow. So, yeah, we are very behind on this kind of stuff. Um, there has been, it was publishing, though, this year, some similar cycles discovered in octopuses, which are invertebrates, but we know have surprisingly complex brains. But there is other work going on on even simpler creatures. Um, there is jellyfish, for instance, um, have very kind of primitive nerve cells, but they do seem to Get behave. Out. Jellyfish sleep. Jellyfish sleep. They behave differently at nighttime, and researchers have done things where they basically get them into a sleep state and then disturb them, and they kind of act all groggy when they're disturbed. <laughs> hang on, hang on, hang on. You're saying that a jellyfish acts groggier than a jellyfish normally acts because they sort of act pretty groggy. Well, these are these are jellyfish. That, these are particular kind of jellyfish that kind of sit on the bottom, on the ocean floor, <laughs> and they wave their tentacles around um, so that their symbiotic <laughs> organisms can, you know, produce energy for them. Um, yeah. And so they need to get themselves in position if they're disturbed. And so basically the, the thing was 
they had them on the floor of this tank. They pulled the floor out. They had an artificial floor. They pulled it out, and they had to swim to a new position. And when they were in sleep state, they were a lot slower to recover. Right. But essentially, this is what you're doing. You're looking at indirect clues. Um, so there's currently research going on on sponges um, and even on these things called placozoans, which are just kind of double sheets of cells. They're very simple multicellular <laughs> creatures. Um, so sponges, there's actually been some interesting work at the University of Queensland where they basically found circadian rhythms in sponges in the way they pump wow. water through. And it kind of indicates that they have... A, a daily cycle which suggests that there is kind of a restful state and a more active state mm. so that's one of the kind of things you look at and they're doing the same kind of thing with placozoans because you can't monitor brain waves or anything like that with these creatures that don't have brains mm. well i mean you know sorry i mean I, it's, it's pretty obvious that they would act different uh during the day and at night because they can't see at night so that's probably why they well, sponges don't <laughs> <laughs> have a lot to see really either they don't have any eyes either no or... no but then that didn't stop the yeah. it doesn't stop some creatures it seems um so they look at things like daily cycles they also do stuff like um whether they're affected by sleep drugs like melatonin and you know they can give them these sleep drugs and find out whether that affects their behavior Me- melatonin works across the animal kingdom it apparently it does yes wow that's fascinating so yeah, there is. It is a lot more complex than it is, and this. But this is the thing. Um, there's one interesting quote that someone said, which essentially is, you know, we're trying to work out why, um, why you know animals sleep. Um, there's a uh, a neuroscientist from the University Washington University in St. Louis who actually said it could be the other way around. That essentially sleep is the default state, and we've evolved wakefulness and activity. So maybe that you know instead of asking why we're asleep. We should be asking why we're awake. Something to lie awake at night thinking about. I mean, come on. Yeah. Well, I mean, to feed ourselves, to reproduce. There's a lot of answers to that question. But yeah, but if you but if if you look at it from a you know, that we evolve from from microorganisms, how do you tell you know, is a bacteria awake or asleep when it's doing its primary functions and then, you know, we're we're the we're the exception to the rule. We're not the we're not the rule. So we're the, yeah. not the default. So it does kind of. Guess make sense. I'm being very um very kingdom centric, aren't I? Yeah. Well, we are mostly focusing on on animals here anyway. So you know, even the simplest ones like creatures are talking about, there were animals. So we are being a bit kingdom centric uh, in this. But it is still a this is still a fascinating thing and. You know, understanding how this works in other animals by working out their, I guess, physiological impacts of sleep will help us understand its effects on us and also help us to develop better sleep treatments. Um, there was, uh, like, for example, some research that were on, on mice. They're looking at a protein that's involved in sleep deprivation and they found that it was actually produced in muscles rather than the brain. This protein can be produced in the brain, but they found that the, um, the protein that's actually being produced when and the sleep deprivation was coming from the muscles. So there's a link between the muscles and the the sleep state, which kind of then makes sense when you think about, you know, when you exert your muscles a lot, you get sleepy. So mm. there is a lot going on and that we, we're we all familiar with, but we don't necessarily understand fully. So, yeah, this is, this is I, guess, I guess, an exciting future for us. But in the, for the moment, we just have to stick with what little we do know uh, and apply what little we do know about getting better sleep. So, you know, there are some conditions certainly that will affect your sleep, like sleep apnea is a common cause of poor quality sleep, but it's not always treated well. And going 
particularly as the um, the communities of color that I mentioned earlier. Um, one of the things that they um, they found is that people often see snoring as a sign that someone is sleeping deeply, but in fact it can be quite the opposite that they have they may be having disturbed sleep due to sleep apnea. Um, but yeah, this is something for us all to also remember as we emerge from a, a pandemic where many of us have had poor quality sleep due to things like um, stress and change routines, um, lying awake, watching Netflix kind of things. Um, so, you know, I guess this is an opportunity now for us to get us back, get ourselves back on track and try and improve our sleep hygiene, trying to improve our sleep practices. Um, I'm not going to go through all that now. There are good, reputable websites that you can look up there. Are things like, you know, the Federal Government's Health Direct, the Better Health Channel Victoria is a good one. Also, Sleep Health Foundation, they have a lot of stuff on getting good sleep. So, yeah, do what you can to uh, do yourself a favour. And I guess also just hope that your your babies are going to grow out of their sleep problems and eventually you will get a, a full night's sleep. That's all we've got time for on this episode of Lost in Science. Thanks for tuning in and joining us. Lost in Science is recorded at the studios of 3CR in Melbourne and broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network with the financial assistance of the Community Broadcasting Foundation. If you want to talk to us, talk back to us, uh, you can get in touch. We have a Gmail account, lostinsight at Gmail. Uh, you can also find us on Twitter and on the Facebook uh, and if that's not enough lost in science for you, you can always tune in again next week where the team will once again get lost, lost in science. listening to a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online.